President Joe Biden meets with China's president today, where the two will discuss restoring military to military communications. Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. We anticipate that the leaders will discuss some of the most fundamental elements of the USPRC bilateral relationship, including the continued importance of strengthening open lines of communication and managing competition responsibly so that it does not veer into conflict. And veterans advocates are voicing concerns about for-profit businesses that help vets apply for disability benefits. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Jonathan Lairfeld. Today is November 15th, 2023. First up, U.S. officials expressed hope that today's highly anticipated face-to-face meeting between President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping will produce some concrete results. That could include the possible reestablishment of military communication between the two nations. The two leaders will meet today on the sidelines of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco. The bilateral meeting will be the marquee moment of the forum. Here's why it matters. U.S. military contacts with China have eroded, particularly since the pandemic, and are now almost non-existent. Tensions between the U.S. nations have grown following a series of events touched off by the shooting down of a Chinese spy balloon that wafted across the U.S. earlier this year. Biden and Xi have not spoken in a year. Their last meeting was at the Group of 20 summit in Indonesia last fall. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan at a White House press briefing this week shared this when asked about U.S. confidence in restoring those communications. The United States has been ready for that entire period to sustain military-to-military communications because we think it's the only responsible thing to do. Having our two militaries in communication is the way you reduce mistake you avoid escalation, you manage competition so it doesn't veer into conflict. That to us is an absolutely straightforward factor. And no matter what else is happening in the relationship, those military to military links should remain intact. The U.S. has consistently viewed military relations with China as critical to avoiding any missteps and to maintaining a peaceful Indo-Pacific region. They became even more important as China stepped up its efforts to aggressively militarize man-made islands in the Pacific as part of a broader campaign to control the South China Sea, including international transit by other ships and aircraft. Biden said he has a simple goal for the summit with his Chinese counterpart. To get back on a normal course of corresponding, being able to pick up the phone and talk to one another if there's a crisis, being able to make sure our military still have contact with one another. China has long complained about U.S. Navy and Air Force movements in the Western Pacific, along with other U.S. moves to impose sanctions and other economic restrictions. China views canceling military talks as a way to punish Washington. But there are small signs of progress. China's defense ministry last week said the two militaries held a conference call on the search for the remains of American prisoners of war and missing personnel, discussing case investigations and cooperation on military archives. Sullivan said Biden would also use the meeting to address China's relations with Iran and Taiwan. In other news, the number of attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria has climbed to 55. 
Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh told reporters yesterday those attacks have resulted in 59 injuries so far. Turning now to our forces in Syria and Iraq, since October 17th through today, we are tracking that there have been 55 attacks on U.S. forces. There have been 27 attacks against U.S. forces in Iraq and 28 attacks in Syria. And an update for you um, from last week on injuries, we are also tracking 59 U.S. personnel who have received injuries in the TBI or non-serious categories since these, act, uh, since these attacks began. Approximately 27 personnel have been evaluated for TBI and 32 for other non-serious injuries. As of today, all 59 have returned to duty. In response to the attacks, the Pentagon deployed support troops and air defense units to the region to protect bases housing U.S. forces and has also launched multiple strikes on facilities in Syria's known to store weapons. Singh pushed back on questioning as to whether the U.S. strikes have failed to deter the militias from further attacks. On the issue of deterrence, just taking a, spec, uh, a step back, is deterrence working? We feel that it is. While U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria have come under drone attacks from time to time in recent years, the escalation since the beginning of the Hamas-Israel conflict is unprecedented. Pentagon officials have not directly drawn a line between the attacks and U.S. support for Israel. Also on your radar for today, veterans are tapping businesses for help with Veterans Affairs disability claims, but there's tension surrounding the best practices those groups employ. Lawmakers and veterans advocate groups, including Veterans of Foreign Wars, held a news conference yesterday about the issue. We're here to talk about a scourge within the veterans community known as predatory claim sharks. These are predatory companies that charge veterans for the benefits that are rightfully theirs. For more on this, Military Times Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins the episode today. Hey, Leo, can you debunk a few common misconceptions about veterans paying to file disability claims? Why has the legality of firms that provide assistance preparing veterans' disability paperwork been an issue in the veteran community for years? Why is that again coming into focus? Yeah, so veterans who want to file disability claims actually don't have to pay anyone to do this. There are free services out there. You can file yourself. The, uh, the concern has been, because it's such a complicated process and convoluted process, a lot of veterans think, well, I must need some sort of professional assistance, uh, a TurboTax or somebody like that to, to walk me through it and help, uh, help me do that. Veterans groups have been opposed to this for a long time. They say these firms are just out there siphoning away money that should be going to veterans for their, uh, for their military injuries, for their military wounds to help make them whole again. Um, but these for-profit companies that are out there are saying, look, it is a complicated process. Yes, there are free options, but they're not always the most user-friendly and they're not always the quickest. They claim that they offer some services in terms of being able to move quicker, uh, walk folks through uh, faster, be more efficient in how they file, and produce better results. Um, so there's this has been a fight for a while. It's starting to come to a head now. We're seeing both sides really push for um, push for more re legislation or less legislation um, to to try and regulate the industry to try and root out which of these folks are are claim sharks or just out there trying to steal money away from veterans and which ones are operating in in good faith and just offering a another alternative for veterans who want a different way to file for their benefits. What can you tell us about the National Association for Veterans Rights and its goals? Yeah, this is a new trade association of a handful of these for-profit companies, and they're trying to 
legitimize their work. You know, they're saying, we've been out here doing this for a while. VA doesn't really reckon us. The VSOs, uh, the veteran service organizations, they, they keep attacking us. But we're out here really helping out veterans, giving them alternatives. Uh, we've got to find a way to professionalize this. So earlier this month, they formed this association. The association will be out there putting out best practices. Uh, they say they'll be identifying bad uh, companies, but also highlighting good companies and sort of showing the role they play. The goal is eventually to have VA recognize them and, and accredit, give accreditation to, to some of these companies and sort of bring them into the fold. But we're probably years away from that. VA so far is keeping it all at arm's length. So the, uh, the veteran service organizations are holding events to try and knock these folks down, say that, look, this is this is not something that we think is a good move. This is something we think is just taking money away from veterans. Um, so it's, you know, it's an interesting fight to see where, where both sides end up. What are lawmakers saying versus industry? What new steps are being taken in Congress on this issue? Yeah, there are a few pieces of legislation that are out there right now. One called the Guard Act would severely limit the amount of money and the uh, the access that these companies have to any part of the veterans claim process. Uh, another one called the Plus Act would do the opposite. It would open up uh, the aperture a lot more, allow these these folks to have an easier path to accreditation. Neither one of these pieces of legislation has moved much in the last few months. Uh, there have been good talking points for each side and good sort of comparison points for what the future could be. But, you know, Congress Congress has been focused more on appropriations and just getting their regular work done. So this hasn't bubbled up yet. But I do expect in coming years to see more of these pieces of legislation, more fights ahead in terms of how to how to regulate these folks, how to make sure that veterans aren't losing all of their money. But if they do decide that they're uh, willing to, to pay a little bit for a little bit more targeted service, you know, give them that option. Thanks, Leo. For more conversations like this one, please like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. In case you missed it, the Army this week announced it set aside the court's martial convictions of the 110 Buffalo soldiers who were convicted following the World War I-era Houston riots. The Army said the 1917 incident came after months of racial provocations against black soldiers of the 3rd Battalion, 24th Infantry Regiment. Ultimately, the Army convicted 110 soldiers on charges of mutiny, assault, and murder. 19 of those soldiers were executed. Healthcare open season started for military beneficiaries who are eligible for TRICARE or the Federal Employees Dental and Vision Insurance Program. The open season for TRICARE beneficiaries runs through December 12th, a day longer than the federal benefits open season. The Washington Post reported that forbidden Russian oil has made it into the Pentagon supply chain. After multiple changes of ownership, the fuel is sold to a Greek refinery that serves the U.S. military, according to the publication. Senate Democrats yesterday advanced plans to force a floor vote on hundreds of senior military promotions. It could potentially end a nine-month nominations blockade that has upended planned leadership changes across the Department of Defense. The Senate Rules Committee vote did not provide a clear answer, though, as to whether the plans will get enough Republican support to succeed later this month when it's brought before the full chamber. And a U.S. Coast Guard MH-60T helicopter on a search-and-rescue mission crashed in southeast Alaska Monday night, seriously injuring two of the four crew members on board. And on this day in history, in 1864, Union General William T. Sherman began leading some 60,000 soldiers on a march from Atlanta to Savannah, Georgia. 
The purpose of Sherman's march to the sea was to frighten Georgia's civilian population into abandoning the Confederate cause. That's it for us this morning. To get more of the top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com slash EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Defense underscore News and at Military Times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted by me, Jonathan Lairfeld, and produced by our video team. Today's episode features stories by The Associated Press, Megan Myers, and Leo Shane III. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gruss. Have a great day. Thank you.